this morning is Graduate uh, Recognition Sunday, and so uh, I, I uh, am feeling a little bit nostalgic this morning because um, 10 years ago this month, I sat in those very seats. And that very position, yes, that means I'm a young buck, I'm 28, for those of you doing the math. Um, Ten years ago this month, I was 18-year-old, sitting in, in the, uh, on the front of the stage getting, I think I got like a, a student Bible, actually, my first, uh, when I did a graduate recognition ceremony. But uh, I remember it because the thing I remember very uh, vividly was 10 years ago, as an 18-year-old kid, I sat in Taco Bell uh, with a f- buddy of mine, and uh, after the last day of high school, we were kind of coming together as great minds do, as you know, in Taco Bell as an 18-year-old, uh, and, and we're just, if suddenly, we had this moment of, uh, wow, we can do whatever we want now. Um, <laughs> yeah, I know. And, uh, and it was, what are we going to do after the summer? And we went from this excited naiveness of, wow, no more, no more chains, no more bondage, no more, you know, legislated kind of thing we had to do, uh, and we can do whatever we want, to suddenly realizing, oh, man, it's all on us now. Like, no longer is this thing regimented, no longer is this thing kind of ordered and laid out for us, uh, but it's, it's, up on, it's on us. We, can, we take it from here. And I remember thinking, we were having this conversation, thinking, wow, we could like start our vocation tomorrow for the rest of our lives. And then I remember thinking, uh, we were also saying, or we could go to school and do all these things or whatever. And, and so I remember uh, that moment, but a lot, of cha- a lot of changes have happened since then in the last 10 years, one of which being sitting in a Taco Bell, um, you know, there's a progressive sanctification that the Lord does in you, and Taco Bell was one of those things that purred, that should be purged from all of us, really. Some of you don't like me right now, but, you know, the spirit, I pray, will move in your heart, um, because if you're eating Taco Bell, something else is going to move. Um, but here's the thing. I remember that. That was one change that happened, but I remember this, this time in my life because it was the first time I was kind of struck with this major life choice, this milestone marker, if you will, where I suddenly realized I don't know what to do from here. It's now on me. Uh, and just kind of being in this, this angst. And from this point on uh, in my life, and in every season change that comes about, there is there is a similar creeping up of this question and this, this little small terror that creeps up of, oh, wow, I have no point of reference here, and I don't know what to do. And every time that that, that comes into my life, in every season, in every life change, in every major decision, the Lord has been faithful to answer that kind of angst and that question with the same answer, and that is this. He simply, do you trust me? Will you trust me, and will you walk obediently and faithfully with me today? And here's the thing, not to be oversimplistic, but what I have found, and I know many in this room, thankfully, that's the, that's the beauty of the church, right, is that every person in this room that follows Jesus probably has a, a longer legacy, hopefully, of, yes, God is faithful. Yes, you can trust him in every season, in every step of life. And 
So that same answer has been true every day. And every time God has shown himself faithful in that answer, and every time he shows himself faithful with that, it cultivates in me this desire to be more faithful as, as a man and as a follower of Jesus. And so every time, whether it be marriage, recently uh, our, our adoption, it has been, Lord, make me a more faithful husband. Make me a more faithful son of yours. Make me a more faithful father. And so as I've done these things, just resting in him uh, has, has just led this desire for faithfulness in every step. And so this is what I want us to look at today as we look at a, a psalm that's very dear to me, and it's Psalm 37. And thankfully, there's someone who le- has a legacy of an example and a trust uh, beyond me uh, in this that gives us an example of this and who is writing this to us. So Psalm 37 is written by David. And if you know David, he is described in the scriptures as a man after God's own heart. And, uh, and many of the Psalms are written by David. And what I love about Psalm 37 is that David writes, we know, in his old age. And he is giving, uh, he's coming to us with a message and with a vivid testimony. Listen to what he says here. He says, I have been young and now I am old. Yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. He is ever lending generously and his children become a blessing. That's Psalm 37 verses 25 through 26. And so as David is trying to tell us through this verse is that I've been young, now I'm old. God is faithful in both of those. I've never been in want because God is faithful. And here's the thing, as we walk in faithful trust with him, he takes his children and makes them a blessing to all peoples. And so that is the the main thrust of Psalm 37, and that is kind of the main point I want us to focus on tonight as we look at it, or this morning rather. It's dark in here. Kind of forget it's morning, right? So here's here's kind of the main thing I want us to shoot for Uh, this morning as we look at Psalm 37, verses 1 through 9, it is this, is that the gospel calls us to a faithful trust in Jesus in every step and in all of life. The gospel calls us to a faithful trust in Jesus in every step and all of life. And so in other words, the gospel leads to a life of faith. Uh, Paul says this in Romans chapter 1, right? He says that the gospel is the power of God for faith, okay, for salvation through faith, for faith, right? And so it is that faith sends us, catapults us into a life of faith. And so this life of faith, the gospel leading us to a life of faith is a complete trust in Jesus and a constant course of integrity in response to his faithfulness. That is what we're shooting at today as we look at this text. And so this truth, the, as, as cool as it is to celebrate uh, grads, graduates, uh, this is not just for graduates, hear me, but it is for any decision, any step, any change of life, because it is a truth that is for every single day that we walk, every single hour, and every step of our life. Will we trust him in the moment today, and will we be, we be faithful to obey him? And so, beginning in Psalm uh, 37, we'll just, we'll, we'll start there. So if you would, uh, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Psalm 37. Um, we're going to be in verses 1 through 9, but we're going to look at the whole text as it references 
a couple of different things. And what's unique about Psalm 37 as you go there is that, it, again, it's written by David, but it's written more like a proverb than it is a psalm in a lot of ways because the flow of the, the kind of logical progression of what he's saying is mostly a contrast, a back and forth, or a, a kind of a standalone sentence and then an example. But here's the thing. The first nine verses kind of build a foundation that the rest of the, the, the psalm kind of alludes to and gives substance and example to. And so that's where we're going to be, Psalm 37. Uh, if you are not familiar with the Bible or don't have a Bible, I'd encourage you to follow along uh, in one of the black ones under your pew. Um, it is on page 466 is where we'll be today. If you don't have one, uh, we would encourage you, please take the black one under the seat and consider it as a gift uh, to uh, you from us. So Psalm 37, verses 1 through 9. This is what the word of the Lord says. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Uh, be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before him, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way or over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it only tends to evil. For the evildoer shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you that you have not left us groping in the darkness, but you have come and you've given us uh, light. You've given us uh, a picture of yourself. You've given us revelation through your scriptures that we might know you, that we might hope in you, and that we might walk with you in this life and in the life to come. So God, I pray that as we look at this passage, may we find ourselves rooted and grounded in a faithful trust in you. May Jesus shine through as the hope of all things. May he be our hope as well in this time. So illuminate the scriptures, we pray. Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you open our eyes that we may see the majesty of who you are in the face of Christ? And it's in his name we pray. Amen. So Psalm 37 uh, is, as I said, a, a psalm of David. But it's really uh, the first nine verses, again, build a foundation for the rest of the psalm. And so what I want us to do is there are three imperative commands that make up the first nine verses that will frame the argument of what David is shooting at. And so what I want us to do is just take a look at what these three, uh, these three commands are for a life of faith and then kind of dig into them a little bit and see what they have to do with us and as we trust this great God and walk faithfully with him. And so th that leads us to the first one, and that is this. Don't fret and trust God. Don't fret, but trust God. Now, I don't know about you, but fretting is not a, uh, fret is not a word that I often use. And so I don't know that this may be the first time I've ever used it, honestly. Um, and so there's a lot of unfamiliarity with it, even in my own life. And so uh, when we look at this passage, the very first command to don't fret, 
We have to do a little bit of an examination of what this actually means. And this command, it's important that we do this because this fret not command given to us is, is given three different times just in this section of scriptures. We see it in verse 1, we see it in verse 7, and we see it in verse 8. This encouragement, this command of not fretting. And so we're asked, left with the question, what is, does it mean to fret? Okay? It's kind of a fun, weird word to say, right? Fret. All right? It's, what, is this, what does this mean? And so in the original language, the word actually is a picture of kindling. And so one of the things I've noticed about moving out here to Missouri is there's, there's no shortage of outdoorsmen, right? No shortage of, of guys that know how to make a fire. And so what do you usually begin this fire with? You either use a whole lot of uh, the starting fluid or you use a kindling, right? You just drench that baby in some kind of, uh, you know, charcoal starter or you have a kindling, right? And so a kindling, what does it do? It starts and begins, it's the inner beginnings of a flame. And so when it takes uh, a flame, then it begins to what? To grow and consume all the, the rest of what is there to feed it. And so this is very much the picture that the scripture is alluding to as it says, do not kindle or grow warm or to begin to burn is what he's saying here. To begin to burn in what, okay? So, so, all right, so to grow warm or to begin to burn or to kindle what? Anger, in this case, displeasure or unease with what? Verse 1 and 2 says the prevalence and seeming prosperity of untruth and wickedness in the world. And so in whatever way we look at this, it's, he's telling us, do not allow anything to grow warm as you look at the, the existence of brokenness and evil in this world as well, or grow in envy even. Because here's the thing, he says in verse 8, if you look on down, he says what? What is the end to this fretting? It is what? It only tends to evil, he says here. And so what this means is just as a fire, once it's fully kindled, what? What does a fire do? It fully consumes. It's all consuming, right? So too is the fretting of life as we allow these things, once they take root, once they grow warm, once they begin to burn, then they are all consuming. And so what this does as he says what? Fret not, but then goes on and says, trust God. Fretting in this respect actually does the opposite of, is the opposite of trusting God. It is unbelief. And so it is when we allow this, this fire to consume us rather than the fire we just sang about, God who is an all-consuming fire, then it's either one of two that is taking root, that is burning in our lives and will consume us. So which one is it? But it's this fretting, he says, that dishonors God and wearies us. When something consumes you, it does what? It wearies you. It drains, it, it pulls all of your life out. This is a vivid imagery already that we're said, don't do this. Three different times he says, do not allow this to creep up in your heart. And so David is speaking not just to, uh, not just to a desire for righteousness to be brought forth in the world, right? That's a good thing. He even goes on to talk about this, which is where Jesus quotes this in the Beatitudes, right? He, he says this longing for righteousness is a good thing. 
He says in verse 11, the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. So there's several of the Beatitudes that we see that are pulled from this in the Sermon on the Mount. And so Jesus is talking about this, and, and so is David. They're, they're encouraging that. This is not what fretting is. Fretting is not just a longing after righteousness in the world, but it is a persistent response of our heart to look at worry to look at difficulty, to look at obstacles and unease and the presence of seeming prosperity and brokenness in our world and to only see that and to be overwhelmed with that, to let that cripple all that we are. Spurgeon, uh, the great 1800s, a preacher from the 1800s, he said it this way. He said, to do this is to have half-opened eyes. Now, Humor me for a second. Kind of close your eyes halfway just a little bit. How far can you really see when you do that? Some of you, it's probably good because you can't see me, right? So uh, some of you just got an excuse to nap just now. But um, no, when you have half-opened eyes, you can only see what? Up close. You can only see up close. You can't see beyond what's right in front of you. And so the image that Spurgeon gives us is that when we live in a life of fret, not only does it pull us to, away from trusting God and into consu uh, the consumption of unbelief, but it is a life lived in nearsightedness. It is a life lived that misses the whole picture of what God's doing in our lives and in the world. It misses the gospel. And so here's the, here's the picture we have is, yes, life is lived in a already not yet area. Yes, has Christ come? Is he reigning victorious now over death, sin, and all brokenness and evil? Yes, but yet we still await his second coming and the full redemption and appropriation of that redemption. And so it's in this tension that we often find ourselves in this nearsightedness. That we, yes, will acknowledge the already, but we forget the not yet. And the hope of the gospel is it's for today. He came to redeem and there is victory today. But here's the glorious good news. Although sin and evil still are prevalent in the world and in our lives, there will come a day where he will fully do away with them. And that's the end hope of the gospel. And so we live in this, this state of an already not yet. And here's, the, here's what I've noticed in my life and just in observing is that it's with changing seasons of life or major decisions or uh, some radical um, thing that, inter, that, that, that comes into our life whether it be a catastrophe of some kind or, or whatever have you, it is those times where this fretting and this understanding of a half-open eye is all too clear because it brings about an incessant fretting with life. And so that's the moment when I and when we, I believe, become so focused on the difficulty or so focused on uh, the prevalence of all that is broken that we miss and fail to regard the God of promise. And that's what faith does. 
is that even in the face of difficulty, in the face of evil, faith regards the promise because it knows the God of promise. And so that's the, that is the, command, the second command he gives is trust God. Don't fret, but trust God. Why trust God? He says the worries of the world will fade away, verse 1 and 2. They will be like, they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. But he says what? God won't. Psalm 36, verses 5 through, through 9, which Psalm 36 is really linked to Psalm 37 in a lot of ways. There's a contrast between the, the person who delights in evil and the person who delights in righteousness. And so listen to, what, listen to the picture of the faithful provider we have of this God that we can trust. Psalm 36, 5 through 9 says, Your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens. Your faithfulness to the clouds. Your righteousness is like the mountains of God. Your judgments are like the deep, great deep. Man and beast you save, O Lord. How precious is your steadfast love, O God. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings, and they feast on the abundance of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your delights. For with you is the fountain of life, and in your light we do see. This is the God you trust in. He is a faithful provider. He is the fountain of life, the source of all good and all that is light and life. And so he's a faithful provider. Uh, he's also uh, pictured in Psalm 37 as a sovereign upholder to those who hope in him. Psalm 37, verse 23 through 26, and we read part of this opening up, but, but listen to what David says in this section. He says, The steps of man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds his hand. I have been young and now I'm old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. He is ever lending generously and his children become a blessing. And so in this section, we see he is a sovereign upholder of those who hope in him. Though we fall, we will not be cast headlong because the Lord upholds us. He establishes us in the faith. And also we see in this, he is the securer of our salvation. Verse 39 and 40 of, chapter, of Psalm 37 says, He is the salvation of the righteous. He is the stronghold in a time of trouble, and he helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them. Why? Because they take refuge in him. So rather than focusing on a fret, we give our focus to the one who is sovereign and faithful and is the source of our salvation and our life in him. Because he upholds all things, even he is even at work when we don't see him at work. And so this is the idea that comes, instead of looking at the difficulty, he says, trust God and give, give your attention to the promise and the God of promise. And so it's in this trust in the one that secures our salvation, also secures all of life, that we can walk faithfully before him. And so that leads us to the second command, and it is this, to dwell and do good. You see this in, uh, in verse 3 and the second part of that. He says, to trust in the Lord and do good, 
to dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness, is what the ESV says. And so where does he say dwell? In what? The land, right? What does the land have to do with anything? Well, promises, the promises of God's salvation in the Old Testament, throughout all the scriptures really, uh, but specifically linked with God's people Israel, was this promises of God's salvation being tied to the inheritance of the land. And their inheritance in the land was simply this, where righteousness would prosper and God would dwell fully among his people. And so that's the hope of, of the land. That is the land of the promise. That's their inheritance. And so while God's people lived in the land, there, these things, these promises were never fully realized. God did dwell with his people, and there were times of rest on all sides Yet, God called his people to say, you know, I know that the land doesn't match the promise yet, but you dwell, you remain, you be faithful where you are. And so this is the command that God gives to us, and it is what David is saying as well, is dwell in the land. I know that the promises of God are not fully realized Yet live in the already, not yet, walking and trusting in this God and dwell where you are. You see, dwelling uh, is true faith in action. And it is this true faith that cures fretting because it is actively obedient where it is. It's willing to stay and it's willing to be obedient where it is. So God commands him not to just seep, to seek out some escape or to look for an out but to dwell where they are and seek to first be faithful where they are, knowing he's put them there for a reason. And that is to be a blessing where they are. We saw that in verse 26, that God will make his children a blessing. And so go and dwell and do good in this land. And so as we delight in God and his word and commit our ways to him, he acts through us for not only our good, but uses us as a conduit for good in the world. And he says in this passage also that he will use that to make righteousness and justice manifest in his creation. And so God's, God's uh, his acting agent within the wor world is his church. It is the conduit of God's grace at work to proclaim the gospel. And so as, so, what is the worst thing we could do, right? Is to not be faithful where we are, but to seek to kind of remove ourselves, create this inwardly focused kind of retreat or escape. He says, no, dwell where you are and seek to cultivate faithfulness and do good. And so delight in, in his word, commit, his, commit our ways to him, and he will act. Notice that's the, that's the command, right? Verse 5, trust in him and who will act? God will act through us and on our behalf as we walk in trust with him. And the second part of that verse is to dwell in the land and what? Befriend faithfulness is what the ESV says. Now I've looked at just about every major translation and they all, guess what, translate this passage differently. Uh, in some aspect, but really there are two different uh, kind of avenues or conduit that they're kind of following. And the reason that those are all different is because this is a really difficult translation. Uh, 
and I'm going to give it my best shot for you and kind of give you what I think is the, the main point either way. Uh, the root translated befriend in the ESV is a root word that's often used for, uh, for companionship or for agriculture. Okay? So um, what do you do in those two? They take a careful tending to. You can't just let them kind of be out there and unmaintained and it's going to be fine, right? That whether it's with a relationship or with an agricultural thing, whether it be cattle, farming, whatever, those two things both take what? A careful attention and tending to. So guys, don't, don't relate your wife, your relationship, whoever, with cattle or agriculture. Make sure you, you know, that'd be a bad combination for you to bring together. But that's the, that is the two uh, veins that the Bible uses this word. And so either way, here's what I think that this text is, is telling us. Is that as we trust God actively where we are, that there should be a careful tending to and a prominence of faithfulness in our life as we do so. So there's a, a consistent tending and careful observance and cultivation of faithfulness in our life. Why? Not so that God would honor us, but simply because God is faithful and it's our response to his faithfulness. And so um, the NSV, NASB translation is the one I like, and it says cultivate faithfulness because I think it gives this idea of this tending of faithfulness. And so soil must be tilled and cultivated to produce a harvest. And in the same way, hard, fallow ground must, must be constantly broken up. Why? So that nutrients and, and, and water and all those things can take root, can really uh, dig down deeper. And also, it's also through this time that, that we must break up hardness in our hearts and uproot sins and everything that may come up so that, 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 that whatever is growing may thrive. And so this is the picture I think this, this passage is giving us is this constant cultivation in our hearts and constant awareness of our lives. Not, not that we bring the growth, God brings the growth, but we are careful and attentive that our lives and our steps are in keeping with faithfulness so that these things may grow and thrive in our hearts and in our lives. And through us, we may, God may show forth his good, the goodness of his gospel through us. And so this picture um, oftentimes conjures up this, this uh, story of, uh, in my life of my granddad owned a piece of property that he lived on for around, uh, several years, several decades really, and it became a suburb, which is kind of funny, because when they first bought it, it wasn't a suburb. It was really rural. And so my granddad owned a, uh, a plumbing business, contracting business, and so he had all this heavy equipment. And then he also planted like this half-acre lot of a garden that he was doing. So right, imagine the suburb with all this, uh, with all this heavy equipment and this this large garden. Okay, that's that's where I grew up in. And so I remember uh, not only would he plow it once it was time to uh, to plant, but then once once the crop would be coming up, he would always. Uh, show me that you would have to till it. So he had this really scary, big, clunky thing that I thought was terrifying called a tiller uh, that he would use. And he would walk behind it, 
and it would, it would stir the soil up so this very thing would happen. It would be tilled. And so I remember uh, being young, and he would let me use this thing. But he, you know, don't picture an eight-year-old out there with this big thing. But, um, but he would walk alongside me on it. And so it had two uh, big handlebars that kind of had a safety on them that kind of like your lawnmower when you release it and it cuts off. Same thing. If you release one of them, it would cut off. And so he would have one and I would have the other and he would kind of guide it and show me the motions of how this, this kind of went about. And so when I think about this, if I can speak to you graduates here in just a little bit, is specific high school graduate students, if I can speak to you here, it is this, is that you have parents who have been doing that very same thing for you that they've been walking alongside you, showing you what it looks like to give yourself fully to what is good in the gospel, to discern and know what these things are so that you would know how to do it yourself. And so here's the thing. As you go into the next season, you're not completely removing yourself. You're not completely autonomous. But here's the thing. They're letting go and letting you take the reins a little bit. And so after a while, after walking alongside this, my granddad, eventually, he let me do it. And yeah, did I mess it up a few times? Did I go sideways and all that? Yeah, but he was always there to speak that into the background. And so in the same way, we must be careful to take attention to our own hearts and the faithfulness of our walk. And so as you as going out uh, and gaining more responsibility, gaining more oversight in your own life, your parents are letting go. It's up to you to know how to do that on your own and to continue in that. And so when I think about this idea of um, about living and cultivating faithfulness where we are, to dwell where we are, um, Jim Elliott, a missionary uh, to the Harani people, tribal people of Ecuador, I think encapsulates this well, 19, 1950s, really tribal area, and, uh, and that they were trying to reach. And this is one of his famous statements that he says. He says, wherever you are, be all there. Wherever you are, be all there and live to the hilt or to the fullest every situation you believe to be the will of God. And see, here's what I find in my own heart and in, in, in any, some that I observe is that too often when we seek to discern God's will for our life, what are we looking for? We're looking beyond the moment and, this is, and there's, it's good to be prudent. But here's the thing, is that I think a lot of times we do this to the exclusion of being faithful where we are. And so we fail to do this very thing, to be all where we are right now and to seek to be faithful in every step. And so always begin. If you want to seek to know God's will in your life, always begin it with this. What's the last step that God told me to be faithful in? What is the last thing that he, that he showed me to do? Because here's the thing. His will for your future is the same as your present. To trust and obey him today. To see him as sufficient and his grace is sufficient for your day, your right now. Because if it's not sufficient for your right now, then it will never be for your future but simply because it is sufficient for all times. You can trust and rest in it now and in the future. And so that leads us to the third commandment that we see here, and that is to be still and wait, to 
Be still and wait. Verse 7 says this. Be still before the Lord. Wait patiently for him. And then verse 9 says, those who wait upon the Lord, contrasted to the evil, right, who will be cut off. Those who wait on the Lord will what? Inherit the land. They will fully realize the promise is what this means. And so living, if you're like me, um, this is a hard commandment, right? Type A, hard to sit down uh, and wait. That waiting is probably the hardest thing for you to do. But, and I think for me, it's primarily because you see this waiting as some kind of like passivity or this kind of laziness, observance, but this is not what this means. It is a living faith because living faith dwells faithfully knowing God will act and his timing is perfect and he is always on time and he is always worth waiting for. So we can dwell faithfully today because he has acted in the present and we can wait in hope knowing he will act tomorrow. So we can wait today knowing because he has acted today in the present, established. Remember, he is already come. He is already victorious. And then we can actively hope and wait in knowing because he will come and accomplish the not yet tomorrow. So waiting here is not a passive observance, but it's an active trust in the God that is working and at work in our lives. Even when we don't know it, even when we don't see it, even when all we can see is the difficulty. And yet, what he's calling us to do in every season of life, wherever we are, is to resolve to be faithful in that last known step of obedience. That To hope in the gospel in that last step of obedience. And such a faith, he says in that passage in verse 9, is a marker of those who await the promise of their inheritance. This is the picture of the gospel on display in the Psalms because Paul picks this up in Romans chapter 8, and I'm not going to read all of this, but we'll look at it. Romans chapter 8, and he talks about this hope of the gospel. He says that all of creation is longing for the full redemption and coming in Christ, right? It is, it is awaiting the not yet. And so this image of all creation and all of us groaning for this moment even. And he says, it is in the hope of Christ's coming redemption and our resurrection that our full adoption will, that will be accomplished. And that's what we live for and hope in. Because he goes on to say, for in this hope we were saved. The full restoration of Christ being, being that hope through, through faith in his son. It is for which we were saved and look for which we wait, he says. And so in verse 24, he says, for in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, we what? We wait for it with patience. And so as the worship team uh, comes again and joins, here's kind of the question I have for you is, is, is Christ faithful? Is he your sovereign? Is he your savior? And if he is, then you can trust and not fret. You can, you can dwell and do good where you are. And you can wait and be still.
knowing that the gospel is for your today as well as for your tomorrow. So I don't know where any of us might be tonight, or this morning rather, but would we know and relish in the Savior who holds the past, present, and the future all in his hands? And so in doing so, we can know the hope of the gospel that calls us to walk faithfully today in the hopes of knowing and being sure of a surety of his coming tomorrow. And we can do this with all of our lives, with every step, until he comes again. So if I can leave you with one thing before we pray and we close and we respond, is I think this message calls us to this, and it is this, that we would resolve to be more fearful of being unfaithful in what God has shown us than being fearful of what we don't know. Will you do that? It's only in that moment that the gospel takes root in our heart today. Is when we are more prone to worry about our faithfulness to God and trusting him than in what we can't see, what we don't know, and giving that over to him. So as we pray and as we respond to these things, if you need an elder, uh, they'll be up front and pray. But let's respond to this, this grace of Christ and let's pray. God, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you that this grace is sufficient in all things. Thank you that you are faithful in all of our faithlessness. And God, I thank you that we can hope in you today and for our tomorrow. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he came to fully redeem us, that he redeems our past, that he secures our present, and he ultimately reigns and will come and bring a culmination of the future. So God, may we live in this hope today and every step and every hour awaiting your glorious return and making much of you that all things, all good may come in this world that so desperately needs you. So God, be our peace at this moment. May we rest and trust in you above all else. In Jesus' name we ask, amen. Let's stand and let's sing. Respond to these.